Welcome to the first of our podcast series, Immigration Detention, The Hidden Costs, brought to you by the Unchained Collective, where we will be hearing conversations between those who have spent time indefinitely detained on administrative grounds in British immigration detention centres. The aim is to raise critical awareness through the powerful voice of experience of the destructive impact of immigration detention on many levels, on individuals, families, communities and society at large. Discussions encompass the ongoing harms of being dehumanised and criminalised, the stigma and rejection individuals face upon release into the community, as well as the economic impacts of this system on individuals and society as a whole. However, these conversations importantly also demonstrate the strength and powerful resistance of those targeted by this system. A crucial question is raised. Why is this system that destroys lives, wastes public funds and fosters division in our society allowed to continue? Can we envision alternative ways of being together in our shared vulnerability? Can we build a society where everyone has the right to breathe? Ultimately, these powerful accounts serve as a collective call to action. When future books chronicle the history of systematic incarceration and torture, sometimes resulting in death, of predominantly non-white individuals for crossing borders, what role would you like to have played in that history? This is a question this podcast series compels you to ask yourself. these women and all these people that they have passed through a lot of trauma before even coming to UK so uh, kind of uh, detaining them is kind of really traumatizing them again they would be walking up and down the corridors in the night you hear their boots you know thumping on the floor you couldn't sleep because they would be taking people to deport them in the night. The whole idea of a detention system. But they didn't tell me why I was detained. It's based on past experience of colonialism. I still now don't know why they detained me. The detention made us to be alienated from each other. Nobody wanted anything to do with me because they felt I might have committed a crime. I'm being labeled as a criminal, so I don't have any freedom. The wastage of money involved in running this whole institution. And you just feel losing my identity, having to get adjusted to, you know, being called out through a number. I feel like, I mean, just a number. You are unwanted. You feel like you are really not like a human being. Everybody, men and women, to be behind bars is an economic waste, is a human waste. We need to counterbalance the negative rhetorics that are coming out there that immigrants are nothing but a burden to society. And this hatred to hate other people who are not English. Knowledge, they say, is power. Ignorance is a very big disease. They want to silence us. It takes courage for us to be here. I refuse to let their system break me. I don't want to be a victim. Rather, I want to be a victim.
Welcome to this podcast series, The Hidden Cost of Immigration Detention, brought to you by the Unchained Collective. In this episode, Blessing shares her journey from the horrors that forced her to leave her home to visa complications and once again losing her freedom in detention. She remembers how difficult it was to sleep, listening to the trauma of enforcement officers taking women unexpectedly in the night. She powerfully expresses the long-term dehumanizing impact of immigration detention. Thank you, Blessing, for being here. Um, would you like to briefly tell something about yourself? Yeah, thank you, Flower. Uh, my name is Blessing, um, and uh, I come from a country in Africa, in Central, uh, Eastern Central Africa. Um, I found myself um, leaving my home um, because of uh, oppression from my relatives, uh, where I was married, um, soon after my husband unfortunately passed away, and I had uh, four children formerly, and my relatives, they turned against me. These were people from my father-in-law's side, where I was mm. married. Mm. Uh, they had never accepted me in that family. Mm. Yeah, so they made my life um, very hard back at home. They used to be jealous, I mean, before even when my husband was alive, uh, doing bad things to us, but at least because my husband was there, Mm -hmm. uh, he was able to keep them uh, from causing too much damage in our family. Mm -hmm. But when my husband died and they just started um, being aggressive. One time they burnt uh, my house in the village. At, at a certain point I lost my job. Uh, they started doing other bad things and actually ended up in uh, losing my son. They poisoned him and he died. So sorry and this really, you know, uh, made me feel, my God, these mm. people, they have done other bad things. They were not even allowing me to cultivate, you know, in our on our land <laughs> that time in the village. And that is the time it reached a point, if I tried uh, to do planting, somebody would just come and bring some cows, you know, and graze them, you know, in the, the land where I had planted. Mm-hmm. And all this were frustrating. Yes. I tried to complain even to the chief of the area, but nobody would listen to me. Mm. They were like, I mean, this is just a woman, and I didn't have anybody to support me. Wow. I'm so sorry to yeah. hear that. Yeah. And when you came to the UK, were you detained? Yeah. Um, it came later because I came to the UK to visit a friend. Mm. 
Mm. It was on a visit visa. Okay. But um, I lived with a friend for some time. That is the time as I was living within these six months, it dawned on me that here I would find my freedom. I would be, you know, um, safe from the hands of uh, my clan. My son, you know, the way he died, um, his death came so suddenly, and that is what now made me really fear for my life when um, they poisoned my son. And mm. so sorry. So when I got this chance and I ended up here, I realized this is an opportunity that to um, be free. I didn't know how to go about making a claim for asylum, and I was so scared, how will I start, and mm. all this. Suddenly, they realized that uh, my visa had expired oh. when they arrested me because I was asked for identification, and, uh, you know, uh, that's when they realized um, that this is a person who is here in this country illegally. At that point is when they put me in detention for the first time. So sorry to hear that. Yeah. So um, after the detention, how do you find yourself in the community? First of all, when I was in detention, that's the time I realized I had again lost my freedom. I was a nobody. I lost my identity. Uh, and that's the time it hit me bad again. Uh, this is the point whereby, you know, you um, served with so many letters, legal letters, which I don't understand, you know, like being threatened with deportation. Um, your time to live in this country had expired. What are you still doing? You know, that um, arrest came some few years after, kept on like moving from a friend to friend because nobody was able to house me for a long time. And I started, you know, working for people, doing, taking care of their children in the houses. So I went through a lot um, in the detention period um, during uh, that time when I was uh, locked up. There were um, three letters uh, for removal. And uh, uh, this thing happened in the course of uh, several months when I was inside there. Um, in the room, you have to live like two people. You are strangers to one another. You don't know one another. Yeah. Um, you have different mindsets. And wow. the officials who are you know, um, taking care of us in those detention centers. They would be walking up and down the corridors in the night. You hear their boots, you know, thumping on the floor. Mm. You couldn't sleep because they would be taking people uh, to deport them in the night. Mm. So I was like, ah, they might also, you know, pick me in the night. Mm. Um, they gave us a chance of solicitors who um, they could give us inside there, you register, you have to register with them. But this, most of these solicitors even 
to access them properly was not easy because they would come one day and they are given like probably 40 minutes or so to attend to a number of maybe 10, 20 people. Mm-hmm. And they choose maybe two or three people only to represent. Wow considering looking at their cases, if they can, you know, help you. Mm-hmm. For them, they would, you'd check these cases, which one, you know, has better chance of winning the case. Mm-hmm. So getting this, you know, somebody to represent you was like one in a hundred percent chances to get a proper solicitor. And at the same time, you are getting letters being threatened with removal anytime. Mm-hmm. It was never easy. Most of us we suffered high blood pressure. Some people came with illnesses. Mm-hmm. I remember a certain woman had a bleeding issue. She had a, a surgery to undergo just before she got arrested. and um, She really suffered. She kept on bleeding every day, every day. For almost three months, she was crying it's because really there, there were no medic, proper medical facilities. Mm-hmm. We had um, a health center, but these are just uh, clinical assistants. That's what we came to understand. Mm-hmm. So they were not professionals to deal with, you know, cases like this. Mm-hmm. And we all felt for this woman because everybody came to know her. You know, her condition. She was mm-hmm. bleeding. The bed mm-hmm. sheets were filling with blood every night. Yeah, Nobody bothered for like almost three months. Wow. They take her to hospital. Other people were suffering. Uh, some people, you know, came in. Maybe they were, uh, they had been diagnosed with cancer. Mm-hmm. Others, before they got arrested, they had medications mm-hmm. in their houses. They were not allowed um to have their med- uh, medications, the ones they were using, if you ask them, mm-hmm. then to provide you with the same medications from this health center, the small health center there, they would not give you. They would just give you a paracetamol. Mm-hmm. And to get access to the hospitals outside, oh, those chances were very limited. Wow. Very, very limited. Wow. I'm so sorry to hear that. And um, to you personally, how has the immigration detention affected your physical or mental life, or mental state of mind? It's been a big traumatic experience. Mm-hmm. I've been through um, mental torture. I lost my I- identity as a person. I feel so insecure. Um the community, uh, the people I was living around with, um, they rejected me, most of them. Nobody wanted anything to do with me because if you come from detention, they think maybe you committed a crime. So you are like, you know, somebody living under rejection. Getting help for anything is not easy. You are not allowed to rent a house. Mm-hmm. Um, you are not allowed to work. Yeah. Unless uh, you are granted permission by the home office. Mm-hmm. And uh, you go through a lot of insecurity. Mm-hmm. Uh, landlords uh, cannot rent you a house because you don't have, number one, you don't have ID. And number two, you are not working. Mm-hmm. Uh, you can't pay that house. And they are also threatened by the home office that mm-hmm. they'll be fined 
over ten thousand pounds. If at all they give you, they allow you to rent. So ev- everybody fears, and you just feel, you know, you are unwanted. You feel like you are really not like a human being. You feel like nobody bothers about you. It's been hard so, in many ways. Yeah. Wow. Even getting mental, I mean, health access. It's not easy. Though when you come out of um, detention, they give you a letter saying you can register with a GP. Mm. You go to these people, they start asking you an ID. Mm. When you come out of uh, detention, they just give you a number. Yeah. You know, prison number. Actually, the letter they give you, uh, the number is written there and it states clearly prison number. Mm. Yeah. So um, I would say it has really affected me mentally. I'm traumatized because of the things I experienced in the detention, the removals which were being done, you know, um, many times in the night, carried out unexpectedly, um, losing my identity, having to get adjusted to, you know, being called out through a number. Also, it lowered my confidence and trust. I couldn't trust anymore. I lost trust in people, mm. even the people I thought were my friends. I felt rejection mm. everywhere. Mm. It impacted negatively on my life. Yeah. I'm so sorry to hear that. And yeah. Thank you very much for talking to me today. I appreciate all of this. Do you mind talking about the impact that that has on your family. Yeah, um, it's really been hard for my family because this thing separated me from my children. They have, um, because they are still back home Mm. and it's taken many years. um, uh, Many times I've been uh, pursuing my case with the home office because I ended up being released actually on a bail Mm. The bail conditions are so tough. I'm still not um, allowed to work. I had applied when I was still inside detention Mm. to be given housing, which they rejected. Mm. And um, they released me suddenly. Mm. I had nowhere to go. And when I asked them, they they told me, you might have to um, probably stay inside here if you have nowhere to go until we find a place for you. But because of the um, traumatic experiences I had been in, I didn't want to stay in that place for even another 10 minutes. So I just uh, tried to call the person uh, I used to formerly live in his place, who at first had said he'd not allow me back to his place. Uh, he said, okay, if you have nowhere to go, you can come, but... You know, just for a temporary time, mm-hmm. you have to look for another place. Oh. And that's how I came out with, like, okay. nowhere to go, nowhere proper, proper to go. Okay. Yeah. So um, please remind me, how many times were you detained? Um, I went through detention three times, actually. Okay. Uh, through three different times, which were very hard, those so three sorry. different times, because... 
after the first time they released me after three weeks. Another time, it was almost 10 months before I got out. Wow. And it's been a, a struggle. Wow. That um, time, they were, uh, be- just before that, the 10 months, they had um, tried to deport me. They put me actually on a plane. But God, God is the one who took me out. Because I don't know, suddenly, um, the four people we were with, who we were sat with in the plane, amongst them was the head escort, who suddenly just said, you are coming out of the plane, you are not going anywhere. I didn't know the reason why, Mm. but I had been praying and asking God to help me, and that's how I came out. And other times also, there are also other attempts to deport me, another one, the third one. But God also somehow just stopped it. Um, the last minute when they took me to the airport, the flight just got cancelled. Mm-hmm. And um, soon after that, they released me. Okay. And yeah, so I've suffered a lot um, concerning detention. Mm-hmm. It's and so, so, so it makes, makes me feel like um, I've really been living through a lot of stress, mm. a lot of fear. Mm. Um, I was, I've been disconnected from my family long time because uh, my children, they didn't understand what's happening. And they have been worried because those relatives are still uh, threatening them. Mm. But there's nothing they can do. Okay. Yeah. Wow. So remind me and again, um, how long have you been waiting for the Home Office to make a decision on your case, please? Oh, it's been a while, uh, like almost over one and a half years. And uh, during that period, I'm, I'm like still waiting. They, um, they haven't allowed me to work. Life has been tough. Okay. And... I've just been surviving. Um, okay. Yeah. Thank you very much. Thank you so much for talking to me. I appreciate that. Okay.